Sarah Trott, and welcome to the fourth trimester podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott, and welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and a special guest, Emily Barrett, who I'll introduce in a moment. And before I do, I'd like to remind everyone that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. Go check it out. And we're on Instagram on Fourth Trimester Podcast, as well as Facebook and TikTok, so you can follow us there as well. And I want to tell you about our topic today, which is infertility and pregnancy loss. These are two very big topics. We're going to touch on both. And now I'm going to give Emily Barrett an introduction. She is a licensed psychologist in California. She spent the last 15 years focused on cultivating the heart, the seat of the embodied witness through practices, trainings, and soulful attention. So for example, this includes internal family systems, authentic movement, somatic abolitionism, hatha yoga, somatic experiencing, and many more. So she's a poet, an artist, and a seer with a deep reverence for the wisdom of the body, for the process of grieving, and for going into the darkness. And she's going to talk more about what some of these things are and what they mean. And I really loved this about her in the way she introduces herself in her bio. She says that her life requires deep crying and dancing at least every few days. And most days she wakes up hungry to witness others. So Emily, we're so honored to have you here on the program. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add? And that's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet to hear. I'm a poet. I think that's a big part of who I am and part of that grieving and crying and witnessing the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's such a great topic that we have today, and it's such a broad topic. The topic of infertility, the first one, which impacts so many people, I have worked with many clients over the 30 plus years who will have experienced a significant perinatal loss at some point or often Mm -hmm. before they finally have a newborn baby in their arms and worked with people all the way up to and through pregnancy who have perinatal loss right at the end or beginning I'd say even, so I've worked with stillbirth babies and their parents. So it's in the world. There's a lot of it. We're all walking around touched by it, but we don't often know it. And I think uh, Emily and I also will speak to just how much grieving isn't happening in the world that maybe would benefit us to actually face down and open to. I think that people can find access to many or at least a handful of organizations that attempt to hold space for people who have or are experiencing perinatal loss. The first one I ever heard of was HANDS, Helping After Neonatal Death. And I also want to reference, since this is the fourth trimester podcast, that we did a lovely interview and it was called Black Angel Mamas. 
So Sarah, you might reference that in our uh, after podcast write up. So here we are. It's a thing. We're in it together, even when we don't know. Mm-hmm. It seems like pregnancy loss and infertility are very tough topics to discuss. Mm-hmm. And they're not often talked about, even amongst the closest of friends and family. Mm-hmm. They're really challenging. Yeah. And I have sort of a, a take on that, which is that everyone's expected to live in the land of happy all the time in our culture. And so you experience something, you get to privately, maybe even only internally, do any kind of grieving, and then it's move on time. And I don't think grief works like that. I don't know how it works. To me, it's a massive mystery. I know when I'm in it Mm. (laughs) kind of situation. And I think I can sometimes sense when others are in it, either with or outside of me, around me. So it kind of carries both, right? Like the cultural orientation, but also just the human worldly phenomenon of grief. And it's just not something that we talk about in our culture. The word rarely gets used about anything and is applicable to everything. And I think one of the ways that I've maybe a little bit specifically noticed it manifesting is that sometimes I don't know that my newly postpartum family has experienced perinatal loss. They've never told me. And I see them experiencing grave difficulty kind of moving in towards this new person, this, this person who's been with them nine months, but that they expected to lose, right? They just expected it. And now they can't quite connect with that they're here, they're on the outside, they've survived, they're in their arms, and they're a person who needs connection. So that's where it sometimes can show up, right? Because we're not, we weren't supposed to connect to our grief. So we don't connect, we just stop connecting and can't experience much, including joy, and all the other things that we've talked so often about on this podcast, which is frustration, anger, joy, love, sadness, all the permutations, right, of emotion, feeling, connection, etc. So yeah, I guess Emily's probably gonna use this term, but I'll jump in with numb. And and I see the numbness showing up in the field. And, you know, numb's kind of difficult to work with, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you've gone all the way to that, then you've got to yourself back into the the tide and the current and the all the heavy duty stuff that works around and in and through you and that's not a judgment I understand it completely I've had loss and I've numbed out as a result of shoving myself back into normal I'm sorry Esther me too so Emily what has been your experience Well, I guess the first thing that I'll name it just when I was imagining, because I don't have children and I was imagining coming on and and talking to this audience, I really had, and I think this, you know, goes along with what Esther was saying. I had this like concern. Oh no, I can't talk about, for instance, trying to have children for many years at different points and losing pregnancy and all of that and not having it end up in the baby. And I, I realized there's a, a strong kind of along with what Esther was talking about, which in the language of my teachers is sort of the death phobic, grief illiterate culture that 
and, and particularly around having the baby, because that's often even the thing that fixes the loss, right? In stories and things like that, as you have the baby, and that's how you make whatever the loss was okay. Um, and I, I was like, oh dear, can I come on and just talk about what loss is like without the, the it's okay at the end? Happily ever after. Um, yeah. And I feel I feel a, a real fondness, a real concern for new parents in that tender place and all of the uncertainty. And so I did have some, yeah, just some reservations or maybe too strong a word, but some concerns about coming and talking about just just loss when um when there's so much happening and and, and there's such a pull to support people and reassure them and tell them it's going to be okay, but that's not really my practice. <laughs> um, and so in terms of numbness, I think I relate to it a little more like frozen, which may not be a big difference, but somehow it's, that's the word that resonates more in my body. It's like, oh, somehow there's a functionalness, but I can feel, yeah, the kind of tight thing inside that is working and and also holding something back and for me all that time of of sort of trying and getting excited and getting prepared and then being disappointed and going through that it was it is so much up and down that it you know it really does I have a lot of compassion for the way that we respond to grief of like oh I just can't get on that ride again so if I have access to numbness or frozenness or some kind of functionality, I'm probably going to use it. It's stillness in, in the, yeah, it's a way to have a little respite from the tidal. Yeah, the up and down all the time. So it's a coping mechanism, which is important because it gets us through a day if we have to go focus on something for our life practically. But there's a challenge with coming out of that and getting stuck in that numbness or getting frozen in the frozenness. What is that? You know, how do people get themselves out of that? Because Esther, something you touched on too in your example was, you know, people having a hard time reconnecting or like you're saying, you know, balancing out the, the grief and the joy. If someone is experiencing loss, but they feel that frozenness, how do they get themselves out of that? How do they process that so that they can then experience the other side? I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is crying. <laughs> you know, and it's it's crying, but it's also just, moving the body, like letting, letting what's happening in the body be let out in some way, be moved, like letting, and it's to, to what Esther was speaking to, to the frozenness or the numbness, like that's in the body, right? That's like the way we hold in the tissues. And so if there's access to the grief, this is Martine Prechtel and a lot of beautiful teachers talk about, you know, the, when the grief comes through, the, the praise can come after, right? The, and that's often with the tears and, you know, my body's kind of wanting to do it as I'm sitting here, like with the rocking um, mm -hmm. and the kind of rhythming in some way. And it's so, it's such, I imagine, and I, I mean, I know from being close to people, but I imagine right with this baby and this rocking and this closeness and this touch that it's so available at that time. And I, and I've worked with many women, you know, in that moment and the emotions that are moving in that time are so intense. And I would say, yeah, there's some making room for them is just the most important thing. Making, mm -hmm. making room, having a container for them. It's, it can feel very out of control if it's really new or not, not one's norm, but um, with the right kind of support and container, 
that is the way, is allowing all that grief to come and all the disappointment. Yeah, I might tell the story here if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Please, we love stories. So, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago and it's, it's definitely going to make me cry. So my sister is pregnant for the first time and she sent the picture of her sonogram on the phone of like a week or so ago and just to see that baby who this is very much you know the closest baby in my in my recent life the closest I could imagine to do my own feeling um to see the image of that baby was so opening and I'm so excited and then all the grief of all the babies that didn't stay that never you know were were there in my experience um was right there too you know and so it's just pouring out in every kind of thing back and forth you know so excited so sad and so I guess I would say that it can be tough in in that little pressure cooker of new parenthood but having some different places to go having different people who can hold different things that was important too so that so that I could share different parts of that really honestly and freely without it having to become you know someone else's you know I'm not sharing that with my sister until she maybe she hears this podcast um but but I'm sharing the grief part with you know friends and and close communities and then yeah I could really feel it actually did unfreeze something that I wasn't even aware of in a bigger way after that for me just having that experience of love and grief at the same moment change comes to mind for me in this conversation going through change, right? When you go and transition into one thing, you're letting go of something else, even if it's the right thing, even if you're happy about this change. Always, right? It has to be. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in a way, anytime we choose something or we go on a path, we, we're giving up, you know, many, many things that might have happened. And if we have that, that awareness, then I really think grief is just part of daily life. And, um, and could really support us. I think that the keeping it out, the having to constantly monitor it and move away from it is exhausting. Um, Absolutely. What are some things that people do to get themselves started in the grieving process if they need kind of a step? Like, would you say journaling? Would you say talking with someone? Yeah, I think everybody has different modes. I think first off, it's unfortunately important to name that this is a cultural issue. So bringing your grief to the people in your life can Mm -hmm. often go badly, right? We will Mm -hmm. get reassured, blown off. We will meet their inability. I, this, this, um, in, in a group and a grief group that I'm in and, um, work with someone once called it unprepared concern. (laughs) like we were going to meet this unprepared concern in other people when we bring the grief. And so I think it's good to be aware of that, um, to even just be educating people about that, that we are a grief illiterate culture. So the people around us don't really know either. And I'm, you know, I've certainly been the same Um, when I don't want to meet my grief and someone brings me theirs, I will shut it down one way or the other. So I think that's important to notice, to sort of validate that, even if people don't understand, trusting that if you're feeling it, it deserves attention. And so it can be journaling. Again, I really believe in the body. And so moving moving the body music is very helpful. You know, making um, any kind of space or practice 
right? A little bit of a, you know, Mr. Knows I like, like a rug and some pillows and some music. And I'm feeling, you know, just having a space where grief and alter, you know, that is something that can really shift things for people. Just making a very simple place where pictures of people and past loved ones might go, or even if it's just a plant and a candle. And, um, but you know that that's the place where you go um, to start opening up that process. Um, and then of course there's talking and yeah, and, and maybe finding obviously trusted support, but yeah, it's hopeful. I'm hopeful that it can be a day to day. I'm going to name two places in the body uh, not that they they are exclusive of, of any other place in the body, but I think I'm probably not too far off when I name that emotion can get locked up in the gut, particularly the high stomach or the mid-stomach area, kind of right in the middle, solar plexus, and the throat. And so I know for me, one thing that helps is sounding like just just reaching into that gut and pulling up some sound and moving it through my throat, right? And often that starts with a closed mouth, but it, when I can get to a place of starting to open my throat, and which is not going to be just a simple, smooth thing, by the way. In my case, it's going to be starts and stops and clenching against it and then working hard and breathing to kind of relax this area again and move something uh, around and through. And I think that's common enough, you know, people start to talk about feeling sad and they, they can't do it. You know, mm. it's, it's hard to do. And then the tears come sort of, you know, that's great. Like, don't stop that. I'm Sarah knows, you know, I'm I'm a doula who's like got some tears, you know. <laughs> Wanna have some tears? Oh, there's tears. Come on, let's do that. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which a lot of the flow is upward and out. But I'm gonna tell a quick story, which I think is powerful and strange. It's very strange and mysterious. But when I I had home births, as you know, and I gave birth to my daughter and was completely unaware that, you know, she was in my arms. I was just, you know, all there with and kind of in her. And my midwife had to say, Esther, you've got to stop bleeding because I had, I didn't know that I was having a mild hemorrhage and they were kind of working away and doing all the things. And later I asked, you know, why is there an answer to the question of why that would happen? And she said, you know, I don't know, but some would say that it's the uterus grieving the pregnancy. So grieving can go the other direction as well, right? And when we have a pregnancy loss, how is it manifest? It's manifest as the uterus bleeding out this conceptus, you know? And so I think often we talk about grief phobic and death phobic and all the things. We don't even like blood. Like we are nasty about blood. We cannot face our blood. And it's been pathologized and denigrated since religion, patriarchal religion. 
And that's sad because I think our blood connects us to something pretty important. And there's a thing called blood mysteries in the world that we don't even know, right? And so I think the body can grieve in the other direction, right? Like evacuate things, piss, shit, and blood like that, you know. That's what we do. And when we give birth normally around the world, they all happen together. And while that's understandably for this culture, all very unsavory, I think there's something in it that connects us to something very, very important. The world, for one thing, what we come from, right? Earth, fire, water, and air, very elemental. We don't know what's going to help us these are, we're pointing to these bodily things, right? We can make sound, we can listen, we can, you know, express in all kinds of ways. We can vibrate our bodies, we can move them around, we can see what manifests from there. And I think it's all good. And Sarah, you gave birth twice. You know what happens just to give birth. Like, look how expressive that is. And, and think about that tendency in each of us to want to shut it down because of how big it is like we don't believe it can happen everyone says I can't right at some point in labor or thinks it or I mean I will say that about our culture I haven't met anyone yet who hasn't had the thought during labor I can't or during grief right I can't do this it's going to wreck me it's going to destroy me I will not exist on the other side of this thing. Parenting, like numerous times have I've thought, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm going to short circuit. Poof. <laughs> I will not exist on the other side of this thing that's happening. And, you know, just to allow that would be a miracle in our culture and individually, of course, as yeah. a result. So. Going back to something we said earlier about being illiterate in our culture, what are the words, like, what does that sound like? What was it, the unexpected concern? concern. A little unprepared concern. Unprepared concern. So can, <laughs> <laughs> this is going in so many beautiful directions, and I want to bring that to life if we can. So what would that look like or sound like if we're talking to someone? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say... I mean, I think most of us know it and we know it because we start as kids and mm -hmm. we have a sense, right, of how we want, like, we just want to say how we feel and someone gives us something sweet, right? Someone tells us it'll be okay, right? Or they say, don't feel bad. There's often a version of like, replace the loss, right? Yeah. So just if I were to come to you and say, oh, I'm feeling so terrible about something that's just happened. I would say, tell me more about that. I want to, <laughs> I, I want to hear about that. Right. That's really all it is, um, is, oh, and pause. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, the, the need to respond as if, as if there's anything that they didn't even ask right? They didn't even say I need something or, or anything like that. But if we can stay as the listener or the one that's meeting this, if we can actually stay and, you know, often it depends on the relationship, but like a little bit of, a little bit of contact in, a, in an emotional way, in a physical way, and just say like, I'm here. And I think what that means is we have to be able to touch our own because that's, mm -hmm. 
I will say like, that's what I'm doing. If someone comes to me and they say that, I might hear that in my head, like, oh, don't worry, because, you know, I'm going to get lunch and like, I have big plans this afternoon, right? It's like, there's a, there's a thing in me that wants to keep going. But the practice of grieving and what I call in there, you know, being a willing griever mm. is stopping and saying, oh, and, and then it, it drops into my body and I remember, right? It's like, they're reminding me that this is all not given. And so if I can stay with that, Usually it settles and then we'll see. And sometimes there's more and sometimes there's not. If I bring something to someone and they dismiss or they say something, I will, if I can, you know, in that moment, I will say, you know, I don't want to be reassured. That's one of the things that I think seems very loving. And I find as in my own grief, it's usually not something I want. So learning to sort of, as the griever saying, like, I don't really want to be reassured. Like, I want to know that you hear that it's hard. I think reassurance is a, in Buddhism, they call it a near enemy, right? It seems really, seems kind, but actually it usually feels like a dismissal of the pain. What could that sound like? Like, let's, let's fake dismiss me. Oh, hey, Emily and Esther, I'm having this terrible thing happen. I feel pretty bad about it. Oh, like, oh, it's going to get better. You know, this happened to me and this is what happened. You know, it's going to pass. Have you had something to eat? Um, right. All the things I do. <laughs> I'm quoting. I've been, I've been I'm sitting. Yeah. I've been sitting here thinking. I know all the things you're not supposed to do, and I do them. Oh my god. Yeah, because I'm practiced at doing those things right, right. from uh-huh. childhood, from three years old. Yeah. I was practiced in doing those things. Right. That's when yeah. Emily names the culture. Like it hits you early. And you understand in your body and in your soul, like, oh, this is the game we're playing. And it's not real, but this is how we play. And that's what we do. So yes to all the things she's said. All the versions of don't be sad or it'll get better or, oh, it gets a lot worse than this, right? There are many ways that people want to support somehow Mm -hmm. they feel like they're maybe doing that um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's most of the things you can probably imagine Mm -hmm. hearing Mm -hmm. when you tell someone yeah the silver lining stuff like oh well at least blah 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 yeah yeah oh and and the thing that's happening to postpartum and perinatal loss people all the time is you know just wait it'll happen for you you know don't worry Mm. this and you know i hear it in the hospital all the time Right. Like moms who have been, you know, birthing bodies who've who've had traumatic, devastating experiences. And the nurse says, and you've got this beautiful baby in your arms like that solves your problems, lady. We don't know what to do with you is what that's communicating, of course. Right. Like I think it is fair for people. But what I'd like people to be saying is I don't know what to do. And to be imagining what to do is to sit quietly with all of it for more than two nanoseconds. Again, going back to the positive examples, what do we want to say to people in those moments? I will tell you, and what's coming to me, one of my favorite things is just oof. I say oof a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it works on text. It works, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. 
for whatever reason, that sound, that's the the kind of experience, right? That's what I was saying about the like stopping, right? Like, mm-hmm. oof, mm-hmm. I feel that in my body. I will even go back to my earlier example. It comes from the belly and out the throat. If you say oof, it starts right. It's a gut punch sound, right? It starts where you're catching it and it's moving it a little, a little teeny bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Saying like, I feel that, right? I Mm -hmm. felt that. Um, Mm -hmm. You told me this, I felt it. For me, sometimes all I have is I'm going to sit right here and continue to witness Right, because we're still in it. Mm -hmm. It's happening, and that's what I'm bringing. That's what I'm here for, really, ultimately. And often, it's in a field where nobody else is doing that, right? Mm. They're just not sitting and witnessing at all. They're doing, 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 Mm -hmm. right? A lot's coming at the person, the body, and I'm just going to witness. And saying it out loud so that the person who's in it understands that somebody there, somebody in this space is doing that. The other thing that I commonly work with 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 my families is let's not do a verbal play-by-play of recent and or past trauma, right? We're not going to keep telling the story of what happened because what that does is spark the body's reactivity to it, right? The it's re-traumatization. So the nervous system is going to go back to fight, flight, or freeze again and again and again without ever moving beyond. You know, there's no goal with grief. It's not to not be grieving, right? We're not doing this to not be grieving, right? But trauma will block reenacting a trauma again and again in my estimation is going to block, particularly if you went to freeze, which is often what people are doing in our culture, particularly females. Uteruses, bodies with uteruses are freezing in our culture. So I'm often working with new families and saying, it's your story. You don't have to tell it to anybody. And then when you do tell it, you're going, your body's going to respond as if it's happening right now. So you decide. And you may or may not have developed a way to protect yourself from what's going to potentially be an onslaught of family and friends asking you to tell your birth story. Now, some of us would happily tell our stories because there's no trauma in it for us, right? And we just, we want the glow and we want all the happy stuff. But most people don't tell those stories. They tell the trauma stories, right? And so we just shoot more and more trauma out into the world and back into ourselves again and again and again. This is how our culture, one of the ways our culture doesn't deal with grief, oddly, right? We talk about shit happening, but we don't grieve it. Hmm. So that's part of slowing down, going to stillness, right? Letting the nervous system quiet and then finding out what's actually there. And not spreading it out on the people, you know, because you hear a story, you also may experience that story in your body, right? So I think storytelling is an interesting thing. And I am storyteller par excellence. So I want to jump right in on your story with my story. Uh, um, 
my son has to stop me. Mm. Yeah, he he's quite skillful <laughs> saying nope. <laughs> Emily's really good too. <laughs> so these are, I'm just saying right out in the world, like if your mom, you know, if the first person you're thinking to tell your birth story is to your mom, because she's told you yours or hers of you, and it's not pleasant and, or whatever, rethink that, right? If your, your story doesn't belong to anybody else, mm-hmm. it belongs to you. You don't ever have to tell it. And so one of my practices as a postpartum provider is if I were was your birth doula or if not, right, you do not have to schedule a time to debrief with your birth doula. Think about when you're ready. And if I've been your birth doula and I've been the witness, I'm available to you for the foreseeable future until I die. Mm-hmm. If you ever feel you would like to do that. And that makes a lot of room for people, right? It just mm-hmm. makes a lot of room, which I think is part of what we're trying to do. But if, if you're grieving right now, here I am. I think people often want to be witnessed. And so that's part of the telling, right? They, they want to be witnessed. They, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, all of that telling from where I sit is an attempt to have some resolution to the trauma, to have some kind of new experience of it. Well, we have covered a lot of ground. We've talked a lot about grief, grief conversations, meeting one another when we want to share and discuss our grief, the rights that we have to own our own stories, and that it's okay to talk about grief and it's okay to talk about pregnancy loss and infertility in the way that a person wants to and feels good about doing and having the space for that. And for everyone who is on the receiving end of hearing about someone's loss or hearing about someone's grief, let's meet them where they are, I think is the takeaway here. Let's meet them where they are and listen. We can give them the oomph and <laughs> and just receive and listen and not shut it down, not give them the, well, at least you're this or that kind of conversation. And that applies to all situations, not even specific to pregnancy loss or infertility, although it does apply to that as well. Okay, so check out the show notes on fourthtrimesterpodcast.com if you want to find out more resources on where to go and how to get started. We'll also put information for you, Emily, on how people can get in touch if they want to reach out to you with any follow-up questions and, and to work with you directly. And we are not anti-medicine. We're just saying, you know, if you need it, you need it. But also there are other things that can be explored to layer into and integrate into your healthcare regime that could be potentially supportive for you if you're listening. All right. Well, thank you so much for a really interesting conversation. As always, so delighted to talk to you, Esther, and so great to have you on the program. Emily, thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah, as always. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now.
simple and true I wrote the song I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels You got your gears You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals You got your brakes Always wear your helmet for safety's sake Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I sing a song for you Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing the best that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I sing a song for you